It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia. 107.5 The Game on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. Welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Tyler West and Chris along with you on this Tuesday morning. How are you feeling this morning, Wes? I'm great, guys. I, I didn't think I would be, but I'm fantastic. I uh, I loved last night where Chris explicitly said at about, I don't know, 7.30 or 8, we're definitely not talking about the Braves tomorrow. And then about an hour later, oh, yes, we're definitely talking about the Braves tomorrow. So I, I do pride myself on us making this hour about Gamecocks as much as possible because we will get angry texts and tweets. Hey, this is Gamecocks going to take over. What are you doing? But they're going to have to indulge me for just a moment. It's okay. That That's the best baseball game I've ever seen in my entire life. The uh... End of story. The range of emotions over the course of a couple of hours was something because you're halfway through that game getting no hit through five innings like, well, it's been a fun season. And then, you know, a couple innings later, you finally get some runs going, get the home runs, and then one of the most improbable plays you'll ever see in the game. And fitting, and I brought this up at the end of the last segment, the fact that it was Bryce Harper that was the final out Mm-hmm. was just kind of like icing on the cake because, of course, he's been a thorn in the Braves' sides for a long time, very easy player to dislike from the opposing fan base view. So, like, the fact that he was involved in that at the end just made that even, like, ten times better. Yeah, it, it was awesome. It, just the – I mean, I, I was reading on The Athletic today. Like, everything that happened <laughs> last night has never happened before. Like, yeah. like literally everything. Like, right. you don't – there's never – there's never been – there's never been a double play started by an outfielder to end a game in the playoffs. Right. So not even an 8-5-3, which is the most improbable double play you could possibly have, I think. But sure. never been a double play started by an outfielder to end a playoff game. Never been a team to be no hit that deep into a game and be down 4 to nothing in postseason play, I think. I read, I mean, it just insane all the way around. And then with everything that was improbable about this, the most improbable thing might be that that ball found its way to Austin Riley yep. of all people because he's not even he's not even involved. Like, if you look at the mechanics of where you're supposed to be cutting that ball off, sure, he's not even involved. He's covering third. Right. But just has the heads up, um, just baseball IQ to realize what is happening, to realize there's no threat now to third base. Let me get over here and make myself useful. Um, the second baseman and shortstop, they're going out on a double cut, basically. And there's really not a mechanism to cut it off, throwing back to first base from shortstop because everybody's setting up for a potential throw to third or home there. Sure. And uh, for just the catch in the first place, the acceleration that Michael Harris showed, because off the bat, I thought it was going to be a somewhat – somewhat easy like kind of a fly ball to the warning track Mm -hmm. and then you can just see harris put it into an extra gear and i was like he he may be burnt (laughs) 
and then you go from, oh, no, is he burnt, to, oh, no, is this ball going out, <laughs> to, oh, he's about to have to make a great play, to, oh, he just did make a great play. And then I, I thought, um, I thought B.A., um, Brian Anderson. Mm-hmm. On uh, TBS. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, uh, great call. The, call heard, the calls were fantastic for you, all the big plays. Have you heard Ben Ingram's call on the Braves radio network? I think I did. Uh, for those that have not heard it, he loses his mind. Here's what he here's what he sounded like. Fire 2-2. In the air, out towards right center field. Harris going to go back. Harris back to the warning track. He leaps. Michael's got it! He's got it! They fired it in, and it rolls across the infield. Taken by Riley. Hey, the wall harper took off he made a leaping catch of the wall fired it in it rolled past hobbies backing up the play was riley he secured it through to the bag doubled off harper and the braves even up the series uh, hopefully he got some oxygen after that one yeah that that was good i, I still i liked ba's call because it was is obviously not coming from a braves perspective but sure he uh he like perfectly walked the line between I'm a national announcer. Um, you know, I've been pretty even throughout the whole game, but I'm watching something historic while also telling me what's happening. You know, like he he threw in there mid call while having you know, while one of the maybe greatest defensive plays in postseason history is happening, he throws in the Harper may be doubled up. Right. That was which, the best part of the call. Which then yeah. grabs your attention like because you couldn't see yeah, that. Yeah, because the camera, you can't see that he didn't tag up, so you don't know what's going on. Obviously, the Braves infielders knew the situation. But, yeah, yeah good on to, him to, to, to uh, add uh, that in you. flawlessly. Right. And I, I thought the call of uh, of Riley's home run was was fantastic as well. Like, it, the whole thing, then you you shoot out to the the just broad view from Elon Musk satellites or something <laughs> from where you see the fireworks going off from above yeah truest and i mean kudos to to that tbs crew like that that whole thing you know whoever's in the back saying hey cut to this camera cut to this the whole thing was really really good and and well captured i wish they would turn the crowd noise up just a little bit in the truck would be my one kind of nitpick on the whole thing but man just crazy all the way around but austin riley I got to admit, I, I I did not know if he was going to come through there, and he comes through with the biggest home run of his career. That that was defensively. That was kind of like his um his Derek Jeter moment. Yes, like where Jeter made that play where he just scooped it, goes and backs up home plate, scoops the ball. They asked somebody, he's like, "My instinct just told me to get over there." Yeah. Yeah, I, I I thought once we finally could see that angle of the camera, that was my favorite part of the call. From BA just saying Harper maybe doubled off. I was like, oh, really? But like, I had no idea. And then, you know, Riley gets the ball and you're like, oh, well, Harper's going to. My immediate instinct or thought was like, Harper's going to make it back. And he had an absolute rope. Like, the ball just appeared <laughs> in Matt Olson's glove. Like, it was an absolute rope. Threw it in a hurry. But that was a, that was a great play. That game went so quickly from like despair to joy. 
Well, because and it's, it obviously wasn't an elimination game. But yeah. you go down two games, head yeah, on the Philadelphia. It's like, all right, this this probably isn't going to happen you're, for the Braves again this year. Your your odds at that point because you're it's two good teams at sure. that point. Just the random the sheer randomness of baseball probably is going to beat you when when they you have to win three games at that point and they only have to get one. So the the randomness of baseball is a killer in the playoffs. So you have to. You have to do enough to not fall into that spot, right. I feel like. and But now the momentum completely shifts into the Braves' side. Like, you go from, like, this is Undertaker, you know, Sitting laying up. down. He's he's done, and then he pops up, choke slam, and then <laughs> three count. Like, right, right off. Like, I, so I've always thought, yeah, a walk-off home run is, um, you know, probably the the biggest punch to the gut. But I've always thought the home team late bottom of the eighth home run and then, oh, you go from thinking you've won this thing to being right up there having to bat with three outs after having control of the entire series. Right. I've always thought that was one of the the biggest gut punches as well. Uh, Shout out to your likeness, Travis Darno, for his home run in the seventh. Hey, that was huge. Hey, scoring the sort of what seemed just like a meaningless – run off of Trey Turner's bobble. Yeah. Well, that was like, okay, well, they finally got on the board, finally got, uh, you know, from being shut out. And How they, huge did that end up being? Definitely so. Um, but, yeah, those home runs in the seventh and eighth innings obviously ends up putting them over the top. And, like I said, just a fantastic game all around. And uh, hopefully the next couple games are not as, you know, nerve-wracking. Oh, they will be. This, they is, will going, be. this is going five. This <laughs> well, is going five. Yeah, I kind of had that feeling too. And, you know, tomorrow night likely going to be starting – Bryce Elder, who's not maybe performed well as of late. We'll see. That seems maybe. to be we'll, – we'll see what they decide to do. They haven't announced it yet, and obviously you don't have Charlie Morton for this series as he's on the uh, IL. And Max Freed, rough outing last night, obviously returned from that blister, which you knew was going to be a concern. You were optimistic maybe he'd be able to put in a good performance, but it just – it went south quickly on him. Yeah, I, I saw this thing again from The Athletic. There's only been four or five pitchers ever in postseason history to win a game – when they were coming off of that much rest going into a game. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that was that was tough. Going up against Wheeler, he was fantastic. Really made the one mistake that Darno made him pay for. And so, yeah, that I mean, the odds were against you in a lot of ways, but they evened this thing up. We'll see if they go elder, could go bullpen game. You know, we'll see. But you're going to need Max Freed at some point. And let unless you win, unless you win game three, and then go bullpen game four and just save Strider for five. I saw I saw that talked about online, but I'm I'm guessing you you keep Strider on five days rest and or, or normal five days and pitch him game four again. Yeah, definitely. We'll see what happens now. If you end up starting Elder, it might inadvertently end up becoming a bullpen game if things yeah. go the way they've gone recently. And you talk about somebody coming off a lot of rest with Max Reed. I mean, Elder, it's been almost two weeks since he last started a game against Chicago, so coming in with a fair amount of rest himself. Yeah, I mean, uh, that'll be interesting to see. They could go uh, A.J. Smith-Shawver. Um, I even saw the throw Brad Hand out there for an inning just as a lefty matchup, but but they, I think when they go against lefties, they move Harper to fourth, so they they spread out their lefties. 
Right. So it keeps you if, – if they had two of the first three were lefties, you could maybe manipulate it a little bit. But they, they purposely – because Schwarber obviously leads off. He's a lefty. Yep. And then I think they move Bryce to fourth so that you don't kind of have – it seems like a lot of teams, if you have limited lefties, you're putting them where there's two righties or switch guys in between uh, because of that three batter rule, it seems like. Right. All right, we'll get back on track with some Gamecocks Promise, stuff all Gamecocks up. the rest of the way. Yeah, uh, of course, taking on Florida this upcoming weekend. We'll take a peek back to the rough game they had in Swamp last year and set the table for what's coming up this weekend. You're listening to Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. All right, here's Ty Kroger. He does want to throw it, and he's got the carry on Joyner wide open at the 30. 25, cut back at the 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Carolina. Touchdown to Kirion Joyner from 47 yards out. Pete Limbo, the magician. Beamer ball is down in the swamp. Welcome back into the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. That was called in the Gamecocks Radio Network. Last year down in the swamp, the unfortunate only points the Gamecocks scored in that game, losing 38-6 to to Florida. And that was a game, you know, we kind of look back to what last season was. We're coming away from that. You already had six wins on the air. You were looking at the mountain of Tennessee and Clemson the next two weeks. People were about as down on this program as you could be coming away from that Florida game last fall. I mean, right, rightfully so at the time, I think, as far as what we saw on the field against Florida. I mean, just the the absolute go-to example that you will use for the rest of time of the fact that Every game stand on, stands on its own merit that you can turn things around, that, you know, sports can be fickle. And, you know, they, they bounce back, obviously, with two of the biggest wins, I would say, at the time in, in school history. So, yeah, that that was, in some ways, that performance maybe forced South Carolina into certain things the last two weeks. Sometimes a, a loss like that can force you into some changes as well as far as um, – you know, not necessarily personnel, it didn't seem like, but just the the approach on some certain things. And for them, now you, you have this Florida team coming into Williams-Price Stadium. We've talked about it so far this week. Florida plays very well at home, not very well on the road, and they're going to need this South Carolina fan base to, to get there and get there early and, and be pumped up for this one, I think. I think that's a, a big factor. This is a weird Florida team still. I still... Again, full disclosure, I was not super high on them coming into the season. We actually have on a TV in here, guys, we have Florida Vandy going on. Who's winning? You want to do some – I'm sure Florida is. Um, I, don't, I don't know if they oh, trail oh, in that game. Oh, what – weird plays in that game, by the way. But this is – you know, I wasn't super high on Florida coming into the year, but I always want to be careful to, you know, not bag on a team too badly. They just had a weird season, right? They were th- – they got – trounced by utah i mean that was a that ended up being a 13 point loss it it seemed more like 1300 they just got beat thoroughly mcneese whatever they beat tennessee and were pretty doggone impressive they beat charlotte 
very blah game. Very, mm-hmm. very meh. They lost to Kentucky, got walloped, and then they beat Vandy like like you should. Impressive win, quietly impressive win. They they won by 24. Now you may say, oh, it's Vandy, whatever. But, guys, I mean, Vandy. Vandy beat them last year. Well, it, Kentucky beat Vandy by 17. Missouri beat Kentucky by 17. Florida, 24-point win, right? Like, all Gamecock fans are sitting around going, oh, I don't know about Kentucky. I don't know about Missouri. Those are tough. I don't write off this Florida team. They they still, I think, have some really good pieces defensively. And I do think, the, I mean, look, the number one thing, we talked about it with Boogie Huntley yesterday, they kind of are what they are. Yeah, there, there's not many surprises with this Florida team. You know kind of what their identity is. That's they want to come in. They want to play good defense. They want to run the football with their two backs and their offensive line. And they want to give Graham Mertz, you know, easy access throws so he can keep completing 75, 80% of his passes, right? So you've got to be extremely technically sound in this game. But point is, Florida, Florida's been up and down. But this is still, in my opinion, a really capable team. And they can do some things that can cause South Carolina a lot of issues based on some struggles that South Carolina's had, too. I, I think when you get two pretty close teams, which the, these will be from a talent standpoint, I think, we maybe don't talk enough about the fact of just who who executes on that day, who has the ball bounce for them on that day. Like, we like to think of it as, oh, this team is better than that team. Well, if you look at the course of a season, I mean, how many different examples can you make of, well, that team beat that team, but then that team lost to that team? And, uh, you know, the transitive property – really struggles in football terms, I think. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do think for, for Florida, now that the Charlotte win for Florida obviously was in Gainesville and not that impressive either. But if you look at this team through the prism of are they a different team at home versus on the road, then it starts to look a little bit more normalized. Like it, the, Char- or the the Florida team that plays in Gainesville – plays like a team completely different than the one on the road. Now, I'm sure they, they've already said they're tweaking things. They're tweaking their schedule going into this week to try to get a hold on that. But, you know, I, I think that that obviously if you're South Carolina sets up pretty well for you. Also, the other, I think, big storyline to watch here, at least early in the week, what is the status, status of Trevor Etienne? And going into last week, the more I've sort of read other places' coverage, I've noticed all college teams kind of have similar things with injuries where, you know, you hear one thing publicly, but there's maybe a little bit more to the story behind the scenes. And leaning on our friends at Gators Online here, Florida on 3 site, so Etienne is dealing with an upper body injury. (laughs) He was listed as questionable for the Vanderbilt game last week, but internally – according to Gators Online, he was more along the lines last week of doubtful. So it was one of those things where they're hearing with their on-the-ground reporting, he's not playing in this game. He's questionable for that game, but he's doubtful. Well, actually, it, they likely did not need him to beat that Vanderbilt team. They did just fine with what they had. So it could be a case of, okay, he's getting a better service against South Carolina a week from now, better to hold him out in this game and wait for the next one. So I, I, I think for them... The the big storyline is all right. Is is he available? 
Is he close to 100%? Is he playing hurt? When when they've been really good, it has been when they have gotten both ETN and Montrell Johnson Jr. both going, talked about this on our podcast yesterday, against Carolina last year. They got Montrell Johnson going. They got ETN going. They got Anthony Richardson going. It was really a three-headed monster involved the receivers a little bit in some kind of jet sweep stuff. But for the most part, I mean, all three of those guys had what you would individually call good games, but they were all three in the same game, really in the same <laughs> half against yeah. South Carolina, the first yeah. half. So I, I do think that home run threat that ETN brings to that position or doesn't bring if he's out, you know, is a factor in this game for South Carolina. Yeah, you got, I mean, you go back and look. You, you made this point yesterday on our pod, Wes. Florida's ability to just run the ball at will, I mean, is really the difference in the game. Uh, there was the drive that you mentioned. You can add some context where Florida's backed up, and they had, what, a third and nine? Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're going to play it safe. We're going to run a zone run play, and they got 10 yards. Yeah, it was, and that's just backbreaking. It, it was one of those days for South Carolina. They came out. Florida scores pretty much every drive in the first half of this game. The the they had three touchdowns, a field goal, and then an end of half situation. And you know, South Carolina played a little bit better in the second half. But you say that they also had turnovers on what the first three drives of the second half. Now Florida actually did not convert all those into points which, you know, it was one of those games It was like, I think, 24 to 6 at the time, and you're kind of like, you know, they're, they've played their worst game of the year to this point, but the game's not over. And they, they got some stops in the second half, but still Florida was able to just kind of, at that point, you're playing to, to run the game, like to run the clock out to an extent. And they had them backed up for one of the few times in the game. This was... Like, Florida started the drive inside their own 10. It's a third and nine. South Carolina had found a little bit of rhythm on offense and, uh, you know, the prior drive. And they literally just have one of those give-up third downs, mm-hmm. Florida does. And they run for 10 yards on a third and nine. And, and now you're, you know, new set of downs. So it was just one of those days for South Carolina. Everything went wrong for them. I, I don't know if you play if you put those teams on a neutral field, even last year, a thirty eight to six game, you know, does it play out like that every time? I would say probably not. But on that given day, Florida was way, 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 way better than South Carolina. So can you can you reverse that? I I do think they've shown the ability to defend the run a bit better than that defense did for most of last year. I have some stats to back that up. Okay. We'll go over later. We'll hit some of those stats. We can hit those coming up next as the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs rolls on here on our Tuesday on the game. What you're talking about. Sponsored by Love Chevrolet. On your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3, The Game in Myrtle Beach, and 100.5, The Game in Florence. No, these are two completely different teams. Um, 
Spencer's a good, really good player. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country. He's got a, a really good group of skill players. Um, they do a nice job of designing uh, concepts. They're very multiple. Um, and, you know, there's no doubt. I mean, every week affecting the quarterback is important. You know, but when you play a guy like Spencer, it's even more important. Welcome back in. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. That, of course, was the voice of Billy Napier, head coach for the Florida Gators. They get set to come into Williams-Brice Stadium this Saturday to take on the Gamecocks kickoff at 3.30. Pre-game coverage will start with Gamecocks game day. Myself and Terry Ford out at Sound and Images on Bluff Road going from 10.30 until 12.30. And then network coverage takes you all the way up until kickoff. Um, Chris, you said you had some stats leading into this game. As I hit my head on the microphone. Um, yeah, I do have some stats. So, Wes is of the opinion, and I am too. I didn't mean to put man on an island. He looks surprised. That South Carolina's run defense is better than last year. Okay. Okay, Wes, are you did, still I, there? I did, I did say that. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I don't remember what I say. Okay, so, you did say it. But I've, I've said that multiple times, which I have to own it. Regardless. I've said it, and I'm... And I'm basing it off of eye test. I asked Boogie Huntley, shot, <laughs> you won't be surprised to know, he did not say, no, actually, I think we're worse. <laughs> I don't think he was going to say that. But I, I kind of wanted to look over, okay, statistically, is that the case through five games? Now, this is not apples to apples for many reasons. One of the reasons is this year South Carolina's played one non-P5 opponent. They played Furman last year. Through the first five games, they had played Charlotte, and they had played SC State. And so, you know, some differences there. And then you've got stylistically, like last year's Georgia game, you know, the dogs averaged 5.9 yards a carry in that game, but their leading rusher, I think, might have been Stetson Bennett. I mean, he had like 36 yards. They just had like 10 guys that had mm -hmm. carries that had like, you know, 25, 35 yards each. They didn't really need it, right? Then you had on the flip side, you had Arkansas where you gave up 295 yards. But the point is, this year it has been kind of a mixed bag. And this team is still not doing well in a couple of key metrics in terms of rush yardage nationally. They're 72nd, giving up 141 yards a game. Third down conversions, they're almost... I mean, they're at the bottom, close to the bottom. They're giving up almost 44% on third down, and a big part of that is two of the biggest issues with this team, two of the biggest worries, pass rush, you know, being able to get off the field in third and long, and then, of course, third and short situations, which goes back to run defense. But the reason I said it was a mixed bag, I mean, look, first half and second half of the Georgia game, right? Dywan Edwards ends up getting 118 yards. The first half, they didn't have much success. The second half, they did. The UNC game, British Brooks has 103 yards, but O'Marion Hampton has 37. Woody Marks from Mississippi State comes in. Wasn't he leading the SEC in rushing yards, yes, I think, was. at that yeah. point? Yep. 27 rushing yards on 12 attempts, right? And then Tennessee was, I think, South Carolina's worst performance against the run this year was the Tennessee game. So it's been a mixed bag, and I think the reason that we could say it's better is statistically there's some evidence and spots that they've been better some individual performances some moments i think eyeball test it's better has it been markedly better 
just on the whole, like if you take the whole picture, I mean, probably not from a statistical standpoint. It's just been too up and down, too inconsistent, I think. But it's going to be so important uh, this weekend against Florida. Yeah, and I tend to think, again, when I'm saying that, I'm I'm talking purely eye test uh, yeah. as well. It, and I uh, I think you, you would have had – you would have had a Georgia State game and factored in last year as well. Yes, and Georgia State, you know, they averaged five yards a carry. Five yards a carry. So, you know, I, I it's been a much tougher matchup to this point than last year, I think, in terms of what you've had to face off against offensively, uh, you know, for the other team's offenses, I mean. And so I, I'll be curious to see, like, do we see that against some not quite as good offenses? Do we see the numbers start to back up what I think I've seen with an eye test? I, I just I feel like I feel like the defensive line. Granted, there is something to be asked for a little bit there in pass rush, and you know the percentage of times you're getting to the passer while just rushing for. Yes, I I feel like they have done a better job of kind of playing blocks at the point of attack getting off of blocks letting the linebackers roam uh, I think you've got a little bit more athleticism at the linebacker spot than you maybe did last year and you know it not that they're going to always be able to reproduce what they did against Mississippi State because that's the best they have played the run I think in the entire Beamer tenure against a SEC opponent yeah. um and that I mean they just flat out shut them down and it, it wasn't really a schematic thing. Like, they, they always have extra guys in the box. It wasn't they just said, oh, we're going to put 100 guys in the box and stop the run. They just flat out played better up front than Mississippi State did. So not that I think you should expect that this week, but I don't think this is a Florida scheme that is that out of the ordinary based, you know, from what you see week in, week out in college ball these days. Like, it's kind of similar to what everybody else runs, frankly. So I, I think that's a little bit of an advantage for you. You always get a little bit of advantage on defense at home. I think I uh, I think this is a good passable test for South Carolina's run defense. Uh, Tennessee was a good test in that you're saying, eh, you know, maybe, but it's going to be difficult. I think Florida is a good test in saying it's a good test, but it, it's passable for you. Well, and the reason that Tennessee's so tough, that A, they got really good backs. Three of them. <laughs> they had a good offensive line, which had Cooper Mays back, which is a really good player. But also their spacing just causes you so many problems. You know, they might be on the boundary side of the field, so the short side of the field, and then they've got two receivers a mile away, it seems like, bunched mm-hmm. together to the field side. You're taking your your DB run support. You're kind of taking a guy or two completely out of that picture and out of that box. So if you misfit a gap... There's nothing to clean it up. There's nobody left to clean it up. And we saw that at times. You know, we saw Tennessee being patient, making some guys miss. Um, saw them, you know, yards after contact was a big thing in that game. This Florida offense is more, um, and, and this isn't a knock against, you know, Billy Napier's play calling. It's just schematically, um, it is different. And it's a little bit more conventional, you could say. Uh, Graham Mertz is not going to be the dynamic athlete that an Anthony Richardson was, or he can break, snap off an 80-yard run, even even that Joe Milton was, yeah. uh, as limited as he was in that game. And so th- this game is a little bit more one that you can play in the box, which is more similar to what we saw against Mississippi State. I still think it's dangerous, 
because they got really good backs. But I, I agree with you, Wes, more of a passable test, I think, even than Tennessee. It's one of those games where you want to force Graham Mertz to go out there and try and beat you. And Graham Mertz is more serviceable than what Joe Milton has been through the passing game, but he still likes to throw a lot of those short passes either behind the line of scrimmage or in that 1-10 to 10 yard range. Now, he's better throwing the ball down the field than a Joe Milton was, but again, kind of shutting down the run game, making Graham Mertz go out there and beat you is going to be one of the keys for Saturday. Yeah, I, I don't have – no, maybe – We'll sit here, and I'll be proven dead wrong. I don't have a ton of faith in Mertz to just consistently beat you down the field. Like he he may he may hit one or two on you, and then in the you know in, in the crowd you moan ah you know how do we let that guy get deep? But I I live with that. I you know and and Joe Milton his numbers down the field have been bad, but I think you always looked at Joe Milton and you said. The, the possibility, just with the arm strength, the possibility of him hitting these balls down the field uh, was always going to be there. Whereas Mertz, I just, I don't know, maybe I'm completely downplaying the guy and he, and he proves me wrong, but he just isn't that quarterback that scares you from an opponent's point of view in terms of being able to make all the throws and kind of having the velocity that if you're a DB where, you know, some, some guys, if you get beat by half step, the arm strength alone kind of concerns you, whereas other guys, you know, you're you're not really worried about cross-field NFL throws. And I, with Mertz, I, I'm not really sure he's displayed that like NFL quarterback ability to to attack you every single way, like like even a Joe Milton can, I think. And and Milton did a little bit more in the running game, just as that threat as well, even though he wasn't clearly what what Hendon Hooker was the year before. Absolutely. We'll touch on a little bit of recruiting coming up as this weekend being at home does allow some guys to be in town and some notable names going to be in williams Rest Stadium this weekend as well as catch up on what some of the commitments have done this past weekend on the high school football uh, fields. We'll talk about that coming up. You're listening to Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on The Game. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game. Also heard on 100.3 The Game in Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The Game in Florence. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. And welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse subs here on the game. Reminder, coming up on Thursday, going to be out at Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate out in West Columbia. Then Friday, we'll be back out at Steel Hands, both those from 9 until noon. So excited to be out there. Of course, this upcoming weekend, take it on Florida, a home game, which means going to have some recruits in the building and one that is going to be notably attending this weekend, Cam Fountain, a 2024 Edge prospect, currently committed the Southern Cow uh, out of Atlanta, Georgia, six foot five, two hundred and forty pounds, but somebody that uh, Gamecocks hoping to gain some steam with. Yeah, South Carolina recruiting several guys that are committed to other programs right now, and Fountain's someone they've been in on for quite a while. Um, not a newer offer, not a newer name. Uh, this is an Atlanta kid who South Carolina was involved with very early. Um, went to Southern Cow this summer on a visit and kind of fell in love with it and decided to commit. 
but I think very quickly it became apparent kind of behind the scenes and, and now publicly it's gotten out in the public sphere a little bit more that he's still pretty open. You know, he's he's been to Auburn, visited Auburn. Florida State has gotten involved. He's supposed to go there later this season. And Sterling Lucas, the edge coach, assistant coach for South Carolina, has, you know, built a pretty good relationship here too. So it's been anticipated that he would take a follow-up visit to South Carolina. It's now on the books. And, and I think this is a big one. You know, obviously Southern Cal is a ways away, and there's a lot to like about that program. But he's got some programs closer to home, South Carolina being one of them. Uh, that's on him and so this is a big need in this class you know the edge position um, it's been a, a talking point this year right of just being able to develop some older and younger guys on the roster the pass rush has been talked about a lot you've got Dylan Stewart committed which goes a long way from a personnel standpoint and t- uh, to solving that for the future um, and you got a young guy you know Desmond Umazulu on the roster and some others that you can continue to develop. But you need more um, from the high school ranks. And Cam Fountain's a top 100 player with really good size, former basketball player or current basketball player too. A lot of athleticism. So we'll see where this one goes, but it's an important visit. I I remember, like you said, man, when he committed to Southern Cal, like it was already being talked about in the summer (laughs) that he was going to take an official visit to South Carolina. And I want to say... It was on the books even, or it was very close to being on the books uh, for, for that visit to take place. So it, it was one of those things, you know, sometimes when a guy commits elsewhere, it, it pretty instantly you start hearing, well, hey, this thing is not over by any means. And that was the case here. You know, I, I think, like Chris said, the fact there are still several other top programs involved. You, if you're a Gamecock fan, you don't want to get too ahead of yourself on this one. But at the same time, it is probably, I would imagine, a little bit easy to go ahead and start to, like, think, kind of dream about what if you could put this guy opposite of Dylan Stewart in this class and, and what that would mean for kind of reshaping that position. Two guys that I think could help at that position very early. And, you know, now I, I think we, we got a little bit of juice as far as the final tally for 2024 some new in-state offers going out here recently, Chris. And, um, you know, I, I think that the fact that you got some guys to talk about, some guys to sort of track at this point uh, will make things interesting. We've already talked about Bray Staley, but South Carolina also, your 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 story was very timely. And uh, the Gamecocks have offered an in-state prospect who has been committed to Kentucky for a while. Yeah, Marion's. Quay Scott, who is a cousin of T.J. Sanders, Garnet Trust Tower alum, um, picked up an offer on, what was that, last night? Last night, yeah. yeah. L- late last night. Uh, thought it would probably be Sunday. Um, didn't end up happening. So it happened on Monday. He got the word. And this is one to definitely watch. If you're on flip watch for some certain players, Cam Fountain being one of them, Quay Scott is certainly one. Uh, told me that he would like to stay close to home, obviously, from Marion to Columbia, a good bit closer than uh, Maryland, Marion to Lexington, Kentucky. And, um, you know, has camped at South Carolina, ha- had actually a good camp, West from both a one-on-one standpoint and a testing standpoint. Gamecocks like him as a corner nickel, and he's had a good start to his senior year, 6-1, and one, um, and has contributed really in all phases of the game, running the football, catching passes, playing defense. Gamecocks like him as a future DB, 
and uh, one to watch for sure going down the stretch. Mar- Marion has some, like, under-the-radar talent, yes. it feels like, yep. over the years. Got Tyshawn Sanders, who is committed to App State right now. Of course, TJ Sanders came out of Marion as well. So good program, and uh, he's he's been a key part of what they've done. Kentucky, I mean, Wes, guys that Kentucky wants on defense, uh, the Georgia game notwithstanding, they've done a really good job of developing players there. So if they want, that, that's that's almost to me kind of a stamp of approval if it's a guy that they want. And uh, the Gamecocks have, have always had their eye on him as well. Well, they, they got Jalen Geiger from yep. Spring Valley playing a bunch. Um, Andrew Phillips. Andrew Phillips, yep, from the upstate, from Baltimore. Yeah, yep. that was a guy South Carolina never really moved on. Yep. Kentucky offers. They they like those big, kind of tall, rangy mm-hmm. guys that they bring in. Maybe they're a little bit raw, but they just develop them in their scheme. And, you know, they didn't play well this past week, obviously, but they, they've proven – against a lot of SEC offenses to, to give teams fits. So I think that is something to keep an eye on. And there, there's always – you just you never want to miss out on in-state talent if they have a chance to, to help. So it, it seems like South Carolina has kind of reevaluated as the senior years have progressed for some of these in-state guys and said, look, we're, we're going to take a shot, even if you are committed to another school. A couple of SEC commitments there. Obviously one to Kentucky, one to Tennessee, embrace Daly. South Carolina saying we're we're not gonna just let you leave, which I, I kind of respect the fact they didn't just say, all right, you know they're already committed. We don't we're gonna avoid the possibility of going and missing, but we're just take we think shot. they can help. Take a shot. Take a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Quick shout out: twenty twenty four commitment Matthew Fuller, running back out of Wayne County, Georgia. Twelve carries, two hundred thirteen <laughs> yards, three touchdowns this past Friday night. That's I mean, Chris, you put out the stats yeah. every week, but. Is that not par for the course for him? Like it's he's, not a shock. Yeah, he he's done that before. It's yeah. like similar. I mean, he's been very four star now and on three. Yeah. Nice. So. All right, that'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs. Coming up next, it's halftime show with Terry, including Coach Beamer's press conference at one thirty. Brought to you by PA One Pools and Spas. That's all coming up right here on the game.